everyone, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton, and on today's episode, we've got a very special guest, a general in the uh, in the faith, and uh, we're excited to uh, to pick her brain on a couple of different things. Uh, Cindy Jacobs is joining us today, so thanks so much for taking time and being with us. Uh, Ken, I know that you guys go uh, way back. You want to give us an introduction for those that may be unfamiliar? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Grant, you just said a general in the faith. I don't know if you know, but uh, Cindy and Mike Jacobs have an organization called Generals of Intercession. So, uh, yeah, it was it was an apt turn of phrase. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Uh, Cindy's been a kind of a guiding light of the prophetic movement in the United States and well beyond the United States for many, many years. Uh, She really doesn't need any introduction unless you've been hiding under a rock somewhere. Um, She's published many books. Um, She's been a mentor to many, including to me. And uh, I count her as a good friend and a a mama in the faith. So um, we're lucky to have her. Uh, Time is short today, so this will be a shorter than normal podcast. But uh, we'll just start right here. Um, And Cindy, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's wonderful to be with you. And it's true. Ken and I are great friends and and uh, with my husband as well. And it's lovely to be on with you. Yeah, glad to have you. So um, one of the things that I want to talk about is uh, we all know we've got an election coming up in like two months and less than that now, more like six weeks. Um, And I think some people are still kind of sifting through what happened with the last a uh, big election, the presidential election. And as everyone is aware, there were some prophecies flying around. And I, I don't think people have yet cleared their minds on that. Um, let's talk a little bit about what happened from your perspective. And more importantly, where do we go from here? What, what does this imply about the next sort of six-ish weeks as we come up to the midterm election that'll happen in November? Well, I probably could not ask me a more explosive question, but I will do my best to navigate through this. It's no surprise to anyone, if you're following the prophetic movement, that during the last election cycle, there were kind of camps, that, uh, mm-hmm. meaning those that prophesied that Trump would be president and those that more like myself, I just didn't have a word he would be. And nor um, Bishop Hammond, uh, Lance Wellnow, yourself either. I think we talked about this, Ken. Lance Wellnow, the last election, 2016, had a word yep. uh, that Trump would be the wrecking ball and whatever. But I asked him personally, I asked Rick Joyner, uh, you know, I asked some very major, major kind of elders, um, you know, like I said, Bishop Hammond, Bill Hammond. And no one had a word this time. Of course, you know, us being pro-life, we had our, you know, our definite uh, feelings on who should be. And we prayed that way. I did, you know. Uh, however, um, it, it, it was difficult, you know, um, being kind of, I, I almost felt like I was swimming upstream, you know, because there were other strong prophetic voices that said, no, absolutely, he was going to be. And of course, the the rub of the whole thing is uh, some people saying, well, he, he did get elected and there was election fraud. The word that I got is that it was going to come down to the Supreme Court. It would go to the courts, which it did. 
And depending on what they decided, if they would take this case for election fraud, would determine on what was going to happen. And that's exactly what happened when the Supreme Court would not take up the case. It was dead in the water regardless, whether there was a election fraud or not, because there's no constitutional pathway beyond that once it goes to the Supreme Court. Now, some people, as you know, like uh, Jeremiah Johnson, who I deeply love, uh, and I love the others too, even those that you know prophesied that he would be president, but Jeremiah uh, apologized. Uh, some people felt there should not have been an apology. So I think, um, I really think it was a learning lesson for even the prophets, frankly. You know, uh, I know that uh, we had, I had discussions behind the scenes with a number of them and uh, uh, it was difficult. It was a difficult time for me personally because so many people I loved were saying they had a strong, if not a prophetic word, a strong declaration or whatever, you know, it didn't mean they were saying he would either. And so at the end, um, uh, it was hard. It was hard. And, and uh, so I think, I think uh, that we need to keep civility in the prophetic movement. We have to be careful that politics don't leak in to how we feel, even though we feel very strongly, even biblically, we understand very strongly issues. And uh, so, you know, uh, um, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not going to go and point fingers. You know, I don't think that that does any healing. But, and what prophet has never missed it on anything? I can say I have missed it. Okay. I I think the track record is probably about 98%, you know, maybe even a little stronger, but that doesn't mean I've never missed it. Of course, I can go back and say, oh, it was because of this and this and this. Maybe so. Maybe so. Or, you know, or you could say, oh, we didn't pray hard enough or whatever. I mean, you know, I feel like we left it all on the field in prayer. <laughs> we couldn't, have, we fasted, you know, or, you know, it's like Lou Engle, you know, is always calling a fast. We go over when he calls another one, my good buddy. And, you know, I just, and he says, well, that's a miserable anointing. You know, <laughs> He's got a fasting anointing, a miserable anointing. I agree. You know, so I'm, I'm trying to keep up with all my friends fasting, you know, and things like that. So, uh, I think we need to say now, let's let's look forward. And then, you know, there's also a big um, kind of debate right now about Christian nationalism, you know, and uh, uh, I, I see the potential for some hurt in that, too, because some people think, well, you're just pointing a finger at me and I'm just trying to work for the election. And then others feeling like we've got out of bounds where we thought a person running for an office was the only answer. Well, God is the only answer. Right. Amen. Amen. You know, so we can't, you know, we've got to be careful. Uh, After the election, the Lord was clear to say to me, I'm still on the throne. I'm God, you know, and and I have solutions. Yeah. Amen. I I think that is a, is a really key takeaway. Um, Jesus even said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. So the Pharisees is kind of, you know, getting too religious and maybe a little too structured, uh, at times a little too legalistic. Uh, The leaven of Herod, well, he was the consummate deal maker. He was cozy with the Romans. 
Uh, he was in a in a job that he wasn't actually qualified to have as the king of the Jews because he was really an Edomite, not even a Jewish man. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there was just all of this stuff. And Jesus said, be careful. And he said it to his own disciples, meaning you guys could succumb to this. And if you look at their backgrounds, I think it's it, it's no surprise, right? Matthew was a tax collector for the Romans. Judas Iscariot was a counter-revolutionary seeking to overthrow them. Imagine what those campfire talks were like. <laughs> So uh, anyway, but Jesus was clearly warning them, you know, you've got to keep your eyes on the kingdom of heaven. And while we do care about righteous government and we should vote accordingly, uh, we cannot ever think that politics will be our savior. Yeah. And, and you know, listen, it never hurts to go back and check ourselves. Right. You know, uh, I think I think if we're not willing to do that, there's some kind of deception working in us. We need to be willing to go back and say, well, did I miss it anyway? How did I state my opinions? You know, uh, I think it doesn't hurt to do that. And then also, what are my interactions? You know, the body of Christ, we we should be civil. Right. And, and we should even be civil with unbelievers. I know some people would take an exception to that, but, you know, uh, I think we've got to remember that the winning of a soul for Christ is primary because it's eternal. Governments will pass away. All these other things will pass away. But whether somebody gets to heaven or not, that is the most important thing. And back on that point you just made, we do have this direct commandment from the Apostle Paul saying, let your conversation be, as it were, always seasoned with salt. Mm, which mm-hmm. means tasty, meaning it's palatable, meaning don't be that guy. <laughs> or that we all have guy. to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> Even in your marriage, right? You know, well, it's true. Work on that. <laughs> and when passions get inflamed and you're really sure you're right, sometimes you go from like level one or zero up to 10 in that fast. Yeah, it can escalate really fast. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, you know, I think there was a lot of disappointments and, and we are in a tenuous place in the nation for sure. We, are. we really are. And, you know, um, you know, I know there's some people that have issued a word. I mean, I could give names um, that have already issued a word that Trump will be the next president. I do not have that word. You know, I, I mean, if he runs, I'll vote for him you know, right. because of policies, you know, but I can't say that. And, and I think sometimes the Lord doesn't reveal, you know, he's, he's working in hearts and minds. Do I believe we should be politically active? A thousand percent. Does it matter who's in government? A thousand percent. Am I praying for the elections? I mean, we're in the battle for the soul of the nation. I agree. You know, and so every day, I'm praying every day. I'm calling out to the Lord and many people I know, you know, are doing so. Uh, I know even in California, there's a very godly man running for governor on the Republican side. He's very godly and uh, really seeks the Lord. And, you know, so I think that there's some good candidates that are what we would consider pro-life, pro-biblical marriage and so forth like that. And I'm going to fight for them. I'm going to fight hard. 
Yeah. Because I think before God, that is my responsibility. It's your responsibility before God, and it's also your privilege as a citizen and your mm -hmm. right as an American citizen to be able mm -hmm. to do that. I think right. sometimes people think that clergy should divest themselves of all of their own sentiments. I think they have to be careful not to politicize the pulpit, but they are allowed to have points of view and to work for those candidates, you know, whether it's, I don't know, a phone bank or, you know, putting yeah. a sign in their yard or whatever. We are allowed to do this as citizens. Yeah. And Paul certainly did not hesitate to exercise his Roman citizenship <laughs> when it suited him to do it. <laughs> right. Well, and also in our history, Peter Muhlenberg, you know, That's right. And, and the Black Road Regiment. Absolutely. And so we know historically our, you know, the, the leaders, the Christian leaders fought, even physically fought when they saw injustice. So I think I think we're we're finding our way. Um, but I think we should avoid finger pointing. I think we have to be very careful you know, even in setting things right, we need to, we need to really seek the Lord how to do it. Yeah. Amen. I agree with that. Because we're called to be peacemakers among other things. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you just made a comment just a moment ago and I want to move on to our other uh, topic, but I, I, I want to just go back to this because I'm sure that 80% or more of our listeners will not recognize the reference to Peter Muhlenberg and the Black Robe Regiment. I do, but why don't you just unpack that for a moment for our listeners who don't know what that is? Yes, this is a moment. I wrote a book called Reformers Arise, and this is all in the book on how to disciple a nation. Uh, but in our history, yes, um, Muhlenberg was a, a pastor, and when the Revolutionary War came, at one point he took off his vestments, his black robe, and he said, I'm going to war for justice. And he walked out and about 300 men watched behind him. And so that's kind of been an example. Some people like David Barton have started movements called the Black Robe Regiment because of that. He, and he's one of our preeminent uh, historians, you know. Right. Um, yeah, so I think that's what I was referring to. No, I, yeah, I, I, I caught it immediately. But, <laughs> but many people are not familiar with history. Unfortunately, we don't really teach it very well in our schools anymore. <laughs> we don't teach civics either, for that matter. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, there, at the time of the American Revolution, there were these clergymen, uh, Reverend so-and-so, in this case, Reverend Muhlenberg, and uh, they, they wore their black vestments, their black clergy robes, as was the custom in those days, it's hard to believe in an age of skinny jeans and latte, but anyway, <laughs> uh, this is how they dressed and they would preach in these garments. And then, uh, so Peter Muhlenberg concluded his sermon and then kind of opened the kimono, as we might say, and people saw that he was wearing uh, Continental Army attire and he literally walked right off the pulpit, right out of the church and mustered out uh, for battle. And there were a number of clergymen who did that because they felt as they did. Um, some would disagree with this, uh, but I will just say this is part of the American experiment, as it's sometimes called. And there is this history of um, clergymen, too, expressing their point of view. And it really didn't become a thing for the church not to speak into social issues until the Johnson Amendment uh, was passed back in the time of Lyndon Baines Johnson. And now uh, churches are somewhat held hostage 
to the idea that they could lose their tax exemption if they speak about anything political. But prior to Lyndon Baines Johnson, that wasn't even part of the American landscape. So elections have consequences, laws have consequences. And uh, part of what we try to do on this podcast is educate people to what has been so they get a more balanced view of the totality of American history. Yeah, there was even, they did election day sermons and all the politicians who ran for office came to church and the the pastor would, the clergy would preach at them what was biblical and right. how they, how far have we fallen for that, from that? Right, exactly. I think the last time we had anything even remotely close to it was Billy Graham. And of course, he's with the Lord now. And so <laughs> in the White House uh, in that kind of a role. And Billy was good because he worked with both sides of the aisle. Anyway, all right. So um, so that was kind of topic one. What do we think about what happened with the uh, last election and what do we do with the upcoming one? I think the takeaway is everyone should vote and everyone should vote. Uh, according to biblical principles. And, uh, you know, don't just don't just assume your vote doesn't count. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about today is um, what are you personally seeing in your travels and journeys about the beginnings of revival? Because a lot of people are starting to talk about this, that it's coming, it's imminent, yea, verily, and forsooth, it has even begun. So um, from your standpoint, because you travel a lot, I travel a lot, uh, you know, you see many places, you get to get glimpses of things before others do, and you're a prophetess. So what are you seeing about the beginnings of revival? Well, I have to say, both in the U.S. and uh, many other nations, I think on every continent, they're talking about revival and awakening. I mean, every continent. I, this is a worldwide message. Worldwide people are preaching this. Um, in Europe, they're having with Ben Fitzgerald and, you know, Todd White's been over there working with Matthias and different ones. They're filling stadiums and people are getting saved. Um, we just had here in the Dallas area a couple of weeks ago, Gen Z for Jesus and a whole arena was packed with Gen Zers. Sean Foyt and Jay Koopman that we know both know well. I mean, they are filling fields and they're baptizing and fountains and I don't know what else, swimming pools and you name it. And literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds are getting saved. Now I call that revival. Not only that, in churches, in local churches, uh, I know the church I go to, Trinity, just seeing so many people saved. But it's not an isolated thing. Everyone I know who's traveling, uh, they're saying, I'm seeing more miracles, more people say than I have in many years. It's, the anointing has gone off the charts. You know, um, the miracles are increasing. They're greater. And so, you know, I, I, I think not only that, in some regards, we're also in an awakening in some regards. And it depends on where you are, what state. I mean, I have been on the phone with some governors and they're flat preaching the gospel on Huge. the phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're using scripture. They're saying, you know, this is spiritual warfare. These are governors of states. Yeah. You know, of course, you know, it varies. It varies. And, uh, uh, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, we can see massive deterioration where we're now saying that we'll kill a baby born alive. Right. You know, and um, two states that I know of have passed 
will want us to pass the laws in unusual California are in the process, but according to the different government leaders, if they tell me there's no way it can be stopped, you know, in the natural. And so how does that look from heaven? You know, it looks pretty bad. But yet, even in those states, there's a rumbling, you know, there's there's this rumbling, there's this passion for God. Right. You know, uh, I don't know what you're you're seeing in, in California, but I think I'm seeing it, you know, when I go to California. Yeah, there there is a stirring going on in California of, of you know, it reminds me of the old movie um network. And uh, that one guy, I can't, I don't remember what his name was in the movie, but anyway, he, he sticks his head out the window and he says, he says, you know, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. <laughs> and I think, I think Christians pretty much everywhere, if they have any sense of biblical perspective on life, um, they are looking around and they're saying, you know, something absolutely has to change. Mm -hmm. it's, it is literally driving people who have previously been prayerless. It's driving them to their knees mm -hmm. and it's causing them to engage with things that otherwise they wouldn't have done before because they figured, well, mm -hmm. it's not that bad. You know, we just leave it the way it is, but mm -hmm. they're becoming politically engaged, mm -hmm. the campaign process, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I am definitely seeing that and it is absolutely happening in California. I don't think most people realize, but much of California is actually quite red. Yes. Uh, the, yes. The areas that are not, of course, are San Francisco, Los Angeles, and to a lesser extent, San Diego. Um, and they, those are where a lot of people live. So there's political power. Mm -hmm. and, and this is what makes Illinois a blue state because Chicago is very blue, but the rest of the state is actually quite red. Mm -hmm. Even so New we York. Have a, yeah, New York's much Upstate the same. New York, you know, the yeah. rural areas, right? So right. we have this phenomenon. And I think, you know, within California, if you want to say it this way, um, the rednecks are arising. <laughs> you <laughs> well, know, the farm and communities and the, the lumbering people and the cattle ranchers and all those people are saying, wait farmers. a minute, this is not what we want. Yeah, farmers. Yeah. Yeah. And they're feeling the squeeze from policy. I know that um, in Colorado, uh, a good friend of ours that works a lot um, uh, in the school boards, uh, he just said that they won 70 school boards overturned them in Colorado, 70 school boards. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's in, the revolution is in the school boards. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it funny how all politics is ultimately local? <laughs> yeah. Grassroots. I mean, you know, these, these mama bears, they are mad. They yeah. are ticked off. You know, you don't mess with a mama bear. You know? <laughs> and we're really seeing the rise of this. And, you know, it is a serious time. I remember prophesying a few years ago that there would be food shortages. Well, mm. already on the shelves, we have a big problem with supply and demand. Not everything is there. You know, uh, we went up to Burger King the other day and they said, we're sorry. We just, we don't, we only have this, this, and this because we can't get these supplies. Isn't you know? that interesting? Yeah, and that's here in Texas, you know, which they thought wouldn't be. Uh, even with the truckers, you know, if everything goes electric, what's going to happen to our food supply? I mean, you think you think about a lot of these things, there's trickle down uh, effects of policy, you yeah. know. And so I think the thing is that that it's up to us really as believers to teach the, the next generation's consequences of decisions. 
That's correct. In general, in general. Yeah. And, and uh, it isn't being a nationalist to do that, but it is called stewarding our nations, which before God, there is a judgment of nations. We can't forget that. You know, we don't, the Bible isn't real clear other than like potentially for the poor, the enumeration of how judges will, uh, nations will be judged, but it is clear biblically what brings the wrath of God upon a nation. Uh, Romans 1, even some people from uh, Hosea 4 don't realize it says by cursing, lying, you know, by swearing, you know, people so easily sign omg on a text well what are you doing you're using god's name in vain yeah and christians just do that all the time so what are are you doing it's so funny to hear you saying that because actually when i was a kid my grandmother would not allow me in particular because i i I hate to say it but i learned to swear from my mother who was an operating room nurse and you know nurses nurses are not a lot better than marines to be honest um and so I would just say things like, oh, my gosh, uh, or, you know, by by Jove, that was a term that William Shakespeare used. And she said, you can't say any of that. You've got to strike all that from your conversation. And so, you know, back to your point of OMG everywhere, I, I think we've become very loose with our lips. And I don't think we realize that what we sow, we reap. And that includes with our lips. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm very strict with my grandchildren. They, whatever I, you know, they know they're not going to use that verbiage around me. I remember was one guy was cursing, you know, on the plane next to me. I said, look, sir, my name is Cindy. Would you just say, oh, Cindy, (laughs) you can use my name. Okay. But don't use that name. And I mean, he stopped, you know what I mean? But I, I think, I think even in the body of Christ, our boundaries have moved, you know, yes. we're in some ways we're a subculture rather than countercultural. Yeah. And I feel in this new move of God, we're going to see countercultural movements. Uh, we're going to, we're going to see people that walk in holiness and, right. and, you know, Lou Engel and I are Nazarites, you know, I mean, I know this is very controversial, but we don't drink any strong drink. I'm a Nazarite prophet, you know, and, and all of this, and, you know, I could unpack why, I mean, in Europe, they said, we're going to be a Nazarite. We're going to give up drinking wine until we see revival. They were telling me this. I said, great. That sounds good to me. You know, <laughs> you know but I mean, I'm not putting anyone down. This is what you have to do before God. But the point is, Sometimes you have to move the dial so strongly another direction. That's right. Get it to come to the middle, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned something that I think is really um, key. I am finding myself preaching on this. And I say it that way because there are times in the middle of a sermon, I start going in a direction I hadn't planned to go. You know, it's mm-hmm. not really in my notes. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing others starting to talk about this more. And that is this question of holiness, because I think part of uh, part of revival is a scrupulous attention to the ways of God mm-hmm. and the preferences of God. Mm-hmm. And with that, um, there will be certain things that we have allowed ourselves to indulge in, and it could be a wide range of them. We don't need to enumerate them lest we sound like we're legalists, but there's <laughs> a wide range of behaviors that are currently okay within the modern church 
And I think the Lord's going to clean house and all that stuff is going to go out the door mm. as part of this revival sentiment because we're trying to please God. Yeah, you know, I, I Rick Pino and I are both Nazareth. He's a worship leader. and We had a long talk about this. But, but even like the Lord convicted me years ago about not shopping on the Sabbath. I mean, because I, I would always say, okay, let's go to the mall, you know. But the Lord said, will you give what you enjoy to do? And so since that time, unless for food or something like that, or, or if we had an out-of-town guest, you know, and that was only, I mean, I'm not a legalist, but the point is, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Right. And everybody has to find your line. You know, where is your line in that? But the point is, is it different than any other day? Uh, you know, you may think, oh, this lady is just so out there, but it's just, this is, this is my, this is how I live my life. I'm always making sure I am being biblical. And I, am I strained? Am I, uh, am I watching movies I shouldn't be watching? You know, like, you know, where is my line? You know, right. and I think holiness is, is, is not a legalistic system. Holiness is because we love God. There's certain things I would never do because I love my husband. Yep. I mean, you know, there's just never enter my brain to do, you know, it's not hard for me. It's because I love him, you know, not because he's so gorgeous, but because, you know, <laughs> yes, I love him after 49 years. I can say that. I still like to kiss him. Okay. I'll say that. But <laughs> you, you can cut that out if you want. <laughs> Anyway, you can leave but, it on. It makes it real. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, there you go. The end of my yeah. diatribe. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, and we'll close on this um, because <laughs> we are out of time. But uh, you know, Beth and I don't fight much, and of course, you've met Beth, you and Mike both. Yeah. And uh, but one of the fights that we had, it wasn't recent; it was a couple of years back. But um, she was getting ready to go shopping on Sunday, and I said, "Can't you do that any other day?" And, you know, she kind of, but, you know, later she came back and she said, I think you're right. I'm not going to do any of that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't trying to be a legalist. I was just asking a question because I was thinking about this thing of, do we still keep a day holy unto the Lord? And so there are all these funny little things where I just say in general, Western Christianity and American Christianity in particular has become somewhat lax and loose. And I think the Lord is putting us on a shorter cord and he's starting to speak to people about, you can't do that anymore. I might've allowed it at one time, but those days are gone. <laughs> and so with that comes a reform of life. And that's actually part of our testimony to the world. Everybody knew who the Christians were in the early church. Everyone knew, knows who an Orthodox Jew is in New York city because of the way they dress, because of the way they live, because of what they do. And the scripture says we're to be holy in all that we do because God is holy. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. here we are. This is one of our, one of our indicators. <laughs> one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> all right. like a holiness preacher. I have to there watch we go. It. That's it. Well, I come out of good Wesleyan stock. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? Yeah. Well, thank you Ken, for having me on. Yeah. Before we go, would you just pray us out? Yes. All right. Father, I just pray for everyone listening. Father, I thank you, Lord. The Lord just says to you, I know that you are going through many trials and tribulations, but you are going to overcome, says the Lord. And I know that there are things in your family that grieve you. There's things that you're struggling to have faith for, but the Lord would say, remember, you are not alone. Mm. 
I am in the struggle with you. So Father, we thank you for that remembrance that you are with us in our struggles and that you are there to help us. And you love us in the midst of our infirmities, but you're there and touched by them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Cindy, thanks for joining us today. Grant, you want to say anything before we go? No, I just thank you so much for taking the time and uh, and being with us. We hope you'll come back sometime soon and uh, and we can ask some more questions. But other than that, thank you so much. Thank and, you, Grant. Yes, ma'am. And we want to thank all of you who are listening right now for tuning in. And we'll be right back with you next week with another fresh episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. We've recently updated the Orbis Ministries app with Ken's free teaching archive. You can click on the link in the description of this podcast to download today.